Amen. Uh, my name is Austin. Um, I know I was up here earlier, but uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and this, yes, is my first Easter uh, Sunday here, and it's something that uh, I've been dreaming about a lot. I've been thinking about our team has been dreaming and praying for, uh, and we are just so glad that you are joining us here, uh, because we do really believe that um, in this invitation to be here, a part of Pine Lake, is not, let me express this clearly, is not to an experience. It's to a community. That is who we are created for, who we're created to be. We are created to be in community. So I hope that as you come and as you worship with us, that you will feel that this is home. That we are a community of brothers and sisters seeking hard after Jesus. Um, There's a movie um, done by Disney Pixar called Inside Out. I know, and y'all are like, right now, like, where is he going already? Like, this guy's throwing some curveballs. I don't have any, like, high-speed fastballs. I just got that slow change. Um, (laughs) But in this movie, Riley, the main character, um, you're living inside of her head, and you're living inside of emotions. And towards the end of this movie, parents, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to give some spoilers. So you might well go watch it later this afternoon uh, with your kids. But in that time, um, they're going through um, Riley's mind, and they're trying to save these core memories. And two of uh, Riley's emotions, joy and sadness, are teaming up with um, Riley's imaginary friend. Anybody know the name? Bing bong. (laughs) Right? And so bing bong is taking them through and they're trying to save. Everything is going down and they go through imagination land, right? All of us adults are like, that imagination land is pretty dry and not functioning. All right? But they go through this and, uh, you know, Riley's kind of a preteen and she's going right through and then all of a sudden joy goes by and they look and they see something different. There's this like stunning, sweeping Justin Bieber type uh, boy and he's like, I will die for Riley. And in this moment, that phrase just connects with Joy, and Joy's like, okay, I figured it out. And she's like, she asks the question, will you really die for Riley? I'll die for Riley, right? And so she goes in and creates hundreds of them. She stacks herself on top of them, and then she says, let's go. And they're like, for Riley. And she jumps on this big trampoline that is a part of Riley's love and core memory. And then she jumps, she grabs sadness into headquarters. And I thought about this. You know what's funny about movies is sometimes writers put the truth, the deepest, darkest uh, longings of our heart, and they sometimes, they just go right over the head, or they smack us in the face. And I think in this moment, can you sit in imagination land? We've all wanted, we have all desired for somebody who would love in that way, that would love you like, I will die for insert name here, right? Like, I will die for this person. You want it. I want it. I mean, right? I want to, when my kids, like I see those dad saves, those videos you see, I want to be running down the hill and grab my kid right before something happens and takes them out. Like, I want to step in front of my wife when somebody wants to come in and hurt her. But then I thought about it. Like, I will die for my kids and my wife. But then I thought about this as Christians. We're not even exempt from this, that we really want this. But coming on Easter, we really want and long for somebody to come and die for us. But I ask that, like, what good is that? What good is it if you just die and then you're gone? This is why Jesus' love is greater than anything that we've ever dreamed or imagined. This is why there is no greater love than the one of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't willing to just die for you. 
He's willing to die for you, to be raised to life, to be with you always. This is the good news. This is why there is no greater love. This is why it looks like when we talk about one anothering, as we finish this series off, that Jesus one anothered us by laying his life down for us. And so this is where we sit today. In the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is no greater love than this. So if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to land in John chapter 15. Uh, so if you have your Bibles in front of you like mine, or if you have one digitally, it doesn't matter. It's still the living word of God, so take it and look at it. Um, or you can uh, follow us along on the screen in front of you. This is John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. It says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone will lay down his life for his friends. And in another way, hear it in another way, in another version. I command you to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And here is how you measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. Mm. There's a couple times where I've experienced this type of love. I've just got a glimpse of it. And it's not laying down. My friends haven't laid down their lives for me. But I remember when my wife walked, was walking down the aisle. Right? I remember when they put my kids in my hands for the first time. That all of a sudden, a rush. Have you felt that before? Or you've like, caught a glance? The rush of love just flows through you, top to bottom, head to toes. And you, the love that you had known before pales in comparison to this moment when you see your kids or your wife or your spouse coming down the aisle and you all of a sudden are overwhelmed. And that you know in that moment that the love that you used to define love in the purest form now has been discarded and replaced with this. But in that moment, when I'm looking at my wife coming down the aisle and when I'm looking at my kids, this is one of the things that totally transformed me. That it wasn't that I had a new definition, an idea, an understanding, a feeling. I saw it in hands, that I knew that this feeling that had rushed over me would never stay a feeling. It wouldn't. It would now become a reality of which I lived every day. Truth is this, that the love that we receive from Christ, this love is not a figment of our imaginations. This love that Jesus doesn't live in an imagination land. This person, Jesus, doesn't live in your imagination land just to reside there when you feel like the person you need to come to and be like, I will die for you. It's not a feeling. It's not just this idea or concept that Jesus is this some abstract concept that we have to learn in class and then put it in the right way to get out the equation of love. And then if we mess it up a little bit, then the equation is messed up and you don't equal love. Often of us, we walk around in this idea that love is just such a feeling, mm, right? When we eat good food, you're like, mm, I love that food, right? Anybody else foodies right here? When you go to a restaurant, I know a couple of you, I've been with a couple of you, and we're like, mm, let's just sit for a second. <sighs> this is love. Mm. And then it's gone. Right? Like all of a sudden you're like, mm, that was so good. And that's, I think, that's the problem with the love as a feeling is that it's there one moment and then gone the next. And then we're always striving after it because it's fleeting. It's fading. It's elusive when we just allow it to live in this imagination land, allow it to live in a place called feelings. 
Jesus' love is not just a feeling for you. He expressed it so many times to the people around him, to his disciples. He healed people of their sickness. He brought sight to the blind. He set captives physically, emotionally, and mentally free. He had raised people from life. He had shown those around him that the love that was dwelling in him was not just a feeling that God so loved the world wasn't just an idea that we're like, "Mm, that's so good. He said, now let me show you. Let me be near you. Come into my home. Be in proximity to me. Let me show you what it looks like to love. There is no greater love than this. But then I kept thinking, is I wondered if my wife and kids, and I promise you my kids will get there, maybe your kids have gotten there too, where they say, I don't love you anymore, daddy. I know how many of you are like, <laughs> right, or like kids, your faces are going, oh, dang, I just said that five minutes ago, right? It's okay, the Lord offers you his forgiveness, um, right? Um, but right, I, I wonder that. If we get to the point in our relationships with other people, that if this feeling or this action of loving one another ceases to exist, if there is nothing that they have to offer us, what would we do? I wonder if we continue to love them. I think that's the reality of what happens in our lives, is that people run out of love, run out of offer us. And so instead of staying, we leave. But the one thing I love that drives me crazy about Jesus is that when he was nailed to the cross, Jesus didn't have anything left. He had three nails, two in his hand, one in his feet. He had a crown of thorns. He had nothing left at that moment to give them. The only thing he had left is he had his life. And he said, you can have that too. This is the love. That often when somebody has nothing left for us, we're gone. But Jesus in this moment says, I have nothing left to give you. I can't. My hands are here. My feet are bound and tied. I am literally gasping for breath. You want my life? You can have that too. That's love. That's love that is different than you and I, that I won't do. And in a moment that I might say no to preserve my life, that I have nothing, and I might say, you know, if you're saying, oh, all you have is your life, would you lay it down for me? I might say, Mm-mm. no, because I like living. That's why there's no greater love than this, is that it wasn't a feeling, it was an action. And at the end of being able to give nothing less, all it was was breath and life, he said, you can have that too. Man. There's so many things that I want from Jesus. There's so many prayers that I ask for daily. There's so many things that I want him to intervene in life, not only in my life, but in the world. I want him to stop and do things that just change the world, put it upside down. But how often do I sit and say, when you had nothing left to give, you gave everything. That in everyday life, you know, up to moments out there before I'm like, God, give me this, give me this, give me strength, give me patience, give me peace. But nowhere did I say, give me your life. But here's the thing about love. It's the thing you never pray for. You never pray for Jesus to give his life. You've never prayed for it. He did it before you even asked for it. 
Like that's the thing that marvels me is that often in love and it's expressed to one another is we often give it when people say it or passively aggressive say it. Anybody else with me? Right? Like, oh, I'm reading some tone there. Maybe I should love you. But right, but like Jesus in this moment, oh my goodness, we've never asked for his life. His disciples didn't ask for his life. His enemies, like they did, nobody was asking for his life. And he says, I'll give that. How many times am I just saying, Jesus, thank you that you just gave me your life. That you showed the expression, the fullness of it, that you would lay down your life for me. Even when I didn't want you to. Even when I didn't think you needed to. Like, I could be good enough, Jesus, that you didn't have to die. I can follow this relationship and this law that you have for me close enough that you don't have to die. But he's saying, now love. Not that way. Love is not that way. That you can do enough so that I can save you from something. That's not your job. And this is the thing that maybe you're like, I've heard this before, Austin. I've heard this story before. I've heard why this text, why this non-traditional Easter resurrection test. Because this is the thing that I think we stumble apart all the time. We are looking for love. We are looking for what Jesus says in the second part of it. That he says, there is no greater love. You will find no greater love than this. One that will lay down his life for his friends. And that Jesus did that first. The good news is that the way that Jesus ends this verse is there's no greater love than someone who will lay down his life. That Jesus would lay down his life for his friends. Let me tell you why that's good news. His disciples who were in proximity, who had been given up everything of their lives, walked away from everything in order to follow this guy, Jesus, for allow him to be his teach, their teacher and their master. That in this relation, this would be a buzzword for them because their relationship with him, the classic way between teacher and disciple was this one of hierarchy and levels. It wasn't this on level plane. It was this. That to be a disciple meant that you were somehow like a slave, a servant, a subject. You were there to the beck and call of that master. You were giving your life to do, to say what the master, what the teacher taught you. There's always this hierarchy. And then Jesus, as he always does, he sets things upside down. And his disciples and them, I would have loved to see all of their jaws drop. Did he just call us friends? It changed everything they ever knew, right? And maybe some of you have, are you the same way? You're sitting here right now and your jaw is dropped because you never could conceptually or even reality think that Jesus might be your friend because you have been so wrapped up in this idea that you are a slave, that you are his personal property, That he made you, he created you, and he can extinguish you. Or maybe you think that you're a servant. That whenever Jesus rings the bell, you come to his beck and call. Oh, service time. Oh, prayer time. Oh, time to read the word. Right, and that every time Jesus rings, you're like, "Mm -hmm, yes, Jesus. Okay, all right. That you're at his beck and call. Or maybe this last one, that you're just, you feel like a subject. 
that you are going to be used until you are no longer of value to the king. Like how many of us think that we've extinguished all of our value and all of our usefulness and now Jesus has discarded us for the newer, shinier thing? How many of us do that in our life? Out with the old, in with the new. Maybe you feel like a subject. The good news is that Jesus in this moment says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works anymore. You are no longer my servant, my slave, or my subject. You are my friend. And maybe some of you need to hear that, that you've been coming to this place, you've been engaging with a Jesus who you just feel you have to chalk off a bunch of things in order to stay in the good graces of the king, in order that you stay in the kingdom, stay protected at the end of this life that you might have a place, a seat at the table. That doesn't sound like a friendship to me. I'm going to be honest. The good news is that our family has moved four times in the last 14 years. No less than 1,600 miles. We've gone from Chicago to Texas, Texas to Connecticut, Connecticut to Washington, to Sammamish. And I'm going to tell you, in every one of those places, when we were prepared to move, when we said yes to Jesus, this was my prayer. This was my plea. This was the, the prayer that, my, that our friends in Connecticut and our church in Connecticut was praying, and we asked them to pray for it. It's been every prayer. Jesus, I beg of you, would you bring friendships? Would you bring friendships? Because Jesus... We have left people that we have loved. And let me tell you the faithfulness that we're singing about every time. Every time he has been faithful to bring people in our lives that will become forever friends. And this is the thing about it. And that's not just even at the beginning. That's Jesus being so faithful that forever friends are people that we might even meet a year to six months before we leave. That Jesus hasn't been prepared. like, okay, you're about to leave. No more friends. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus does the other way. He's like, hey, you're about to leave. Here's your best friends. And you're like, what? Jesus, four years ago, that would have been best. Right? We have searched and longed for friends. This was, I'm telling you, church, this is true today. <laughs> I'm not trying to say this to you that we're not friends. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get a thousand emails. Oh my gosh, we're not friends anymore. Um <laughs> Uh, all right, let's go. <laughs> it takes time to make friends. It takes time. It takes years, months. It takes days. It takes hours. It takes minutes. And the thing that we have learned is that to continue to say yes to Jesus, not only as pastors, but hear this, as a friend of Jesus. To continue to say yes to Jesus means saying no to our friends. I wonder how many of us say yes to our friends more often than we say yes to Jesus. And I'm not saying trying to do this like, oh, I don't want to come in and shame. I ask that same question too. I ask that same question when God is moving in our lives and he's saying, hey, come to Sammamish. And I'm like, 
No. Uh-uh. I don't want to. Like, we have our best friends there. You're asking me to do what? The only way that this is possible is that over those four moves, over 8,000 miles of traveling back and forth, the only thing that I've learned is that we will leave our friends. But Jesus will never leave us. That is the only way this is possible The only way this has been possible over those four movements is that we realize that Jesus is not, we are not subject to Jesus, we're not servant, we are a slave, is that when we leave our friendships, the one friend that will always go with us is Jesus, that none of our friends over the last four moves have ever moved with us. Y'all are bad friends. You know who you are. But Jesus says to us to this, and maybe you need to hear this. All right, Jesus, I'm going. And Jesus never says, goodbye, I'm staying. He never says, I'm staying. He's never saying there's a place I'll go that you, that we won't exist together. And maybe you have driven across uh, the plateau. Maybe you've driven across the state or something, and you feel like you're moving in places. You've moved far, and you're saying, i got to create this new life, and I feel abandoned, and I feel alone, and I feel like there's nothing left for me, and that even Jesus has forsaken me. He's not with me. I feel utterly alone. Let me tell you this. It's because you believe you're a subject. That when you leave the proximity of the things that you love, you leave the proximity and the presence of the Lord The good news is here. As he says, Jesus says, I will lay my life down for you. And then I'll rise again. And I will give you the Holy Spirit to remind you that I am your friend and I never will leave you or forsake you. From this moment on, there's not a place that you can go that I will not be. But church, that has to be if you're his friend. If you're his friend. This is what it means as the body of Christ, as followers, as disciples of Jesus, that his death and his resurrection of Christ has changed everything. That I die with him, but I'm raised to a life that I never dreamed or imagined. I never dreamed or imagined that I could go from north, south, east, and west and still believe and thrive that my Jesus is with me in all places. I wonder if we say not even north, south, east, and west, but you could go north of the plateau, south of the plateau, east and west, and do you believe that Jesus is with you? He doesn't just reside here. He resides with you. And this is the good news. Church, friends, family, we celebrate The Jesus who died and was resurrected calls you friend. Some of you just need to sit with that for a moment. Maybe the reason why you struggle so much with Jesus, that you struggle with Christianity, is because it believes that you have to do these things in order to be loved. Maybe that's the reason you struggle in relationships with one another. Because we believe if you don't do these things and you don't stay in proximity with one another, the love that you have between one another will cease to exist. This is what Jesus did. He laid his life down. 
so you'll be reminded that he is with you always to the end of the age because you are his friend. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. But he did it anyway. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate today. And if you're struggling with that idea, if you're struggling with what it means to be a friend of God, come talk to us. Don't just sit in an experience like today because this experience is not a friendship. You will walk away and that feeling will go away. Church, this life that Jesus is offering into you is so much better than you dare dream or imagine. It allows you to be a friend with the Most High God. That he is for you. He is with you. He will not forsake you. He will not throw you out in the garbage. You are too valuable. You are too loved. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that you are not only my Savior. You're not the only one that sets me free. But you are the friend I've always wanted. You're the friend that has been more faithful. You have been the friend that's been more forgiving when the things that I have done should cause you to walk away in shame from me. And maybe some of us feel that. Maybe we just need to name that. That we do not believe that we are friends with God because of the things that we did. We have done. That we are doing. God, I pray for everyone here. Whatever that barrier that is between them and you to have a friendship with you, God, I pray that you would look at them and say, that thing that is in the way, it has been moved. All you have to do is come to say yes. That when you ask, will you come? Will you follow me? And will you be my disciple? Will you be my friend? You say yes. For many of us, God, I pray that we have the freedom today. That whoever has felt used and abused or feel like you don't love them. God, I pray that they will leave that here. They will leave that here so that they walk in the truth. You don't lay your life down for disciples. You laid your life down for your friends. God, if people ask me, how do you do that? We do it in the way that we say with any other friend. We say yes. We draw close. We commune with one another. We listen to one another. We talk to one another. Your friendship is more than a prayer that I pray in my heart. It's a verbal, yes, I love you and I want to be with you. lay some of the things that I want aside so that we can be together. God, come. 
giving us a newness that you are making all things new today. The old is dead and the new has been born. Everything is different. The prayer is that we would not stay the same. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.